Now, we're going to the book of Acts. Do not worry, I'm not going to read you the whole entire thing. Let me explain where we're at. We're at, at the final Pentecost. After the tomb was empty, 50 days later, we're at that Pentecost. And I'm going to start in 22, and then I'll read for a little bit, then I'll cut down to 36, and then we'll be covering this. See, when Pentecost came, they were all in one place. And Peter addressed the crowd. In verse 22, he's addressing them. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and the signs which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Now in verse 36, it says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Well, we're the far off. Now, it might be hard to believe, but you and I can share Jesus just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. But what did Peter do that we can... How can we learn from him about our sharing our faith? Back in the days of the California gold rush, there were three prospectors who found a rich vein of gold back in the hills. They realized they had made a great discovery. And they decided, we got a good thing here. As long as we keep it to ourselves, nobody will find out about it. So they made a vow to each other to keep this location secret. And so what they did is they covered up all the work they'd done. They covered up the vein and made it look natural. They actually brought in some twigs and branches and leaves and covered it up so if anybody walked by, they wouldn't see it, right? Because they had to go down and register the claim. They headed to town to file their claim, and they headed to the, after that, they went to the general store to buy equipment. You know, those things you need, like pans and picks and shovels and all that. Even they even sold dynamite in the general store, right? And they kept their word. True to their vows, they didn't say a word to anybody. They filed their claim. And they brought the equipment. And they headed back to the mine. But when they left town, a crowd of people followed them. They were followed. Why were they followed? It was the expression of their faces that gave them away. Their faces glowed with excitement. They were going to be wealthy men. 
And when the people saw their expressions, they knew these men must have found something special. Can you picture what I'm telling you here? Right? They got followed. These men have found great riches. There was something about how they looked that gave it away. Our text today is one of the best known New Testament stories ever. It tells of the sermon that started the church. It tells of thousands of people who believed in Jesus and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. There were really no Christians until after this sermon was preached. And this event, Pentecost, was literally the break that separated the Old Testament, God's contract with Israel, and the New Testament, God's contract with us, the church. The Old Covenant ended when Jesus paid the price required for it, his blood. And the New Covenant that he declared started when death was destroyed by the empty tomb. Thousands of sermons have been preached on this pivotal event in Scripture. And today, this will be like those other sermons, but different. Today's sermon will be a little different than most of them because we sitting here today are going to look how we can share just like Peter shared Jesus. I'm going to give you a twist on it. Now here's my first point. Peter didn't just share who Jesus was. He shared who his Savior was. You see, Peter had struck a gold. He had decided to follow Jesus. And from that moment on, Peter's life was never the same. It was Peter along with James and John who were part of the inner circle. The nine other apostles spent a lot of time with Jesus, but not like these three did. Everywhere Jesus went, Peter, James, and John went as well. And when Jesus came walking on the water out to the disciples' boat, it was Peter, the only guy who had the courage to step out of the boat. Now, think about this, a sidetrack on the sermon. There's a storm raging. Here's a guy walking on water, and you step out of the boat. Now, when I was in Israel, I was on that sea. And if the storms are going, it's we all get mad at him because he had a fit moment of failure after he stepped out of the boat, but he stepped out of the boat. None of the others did. So I better get back to the sermon or we won't make it out of here before this, you know. I could tell you stories about that. When Jesus asked the disciples who they thought he was, it was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And later, when the crowds abandoned Jesus because his teachings had offended them. Think about that sidebar here. Jesus offended the people and they all left him. 
except for the disciples. Jesus asked the twelve if they were going to leave him too. It was Peter who said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, that is recorded for all to read, even to this day, in John chapter 6, verse 68. Peter had said that he literally was willing to lay down his life to protect Jesus from harm. But then Jesus was arrested. Now Peter followed Jesus. And he led into the city when he was put on trial. He was there at least. But while he was there, someone recognized him and accused him of being one of the followers of Christ. But Peter says, no, I have nothing to do with this Jesus. Then someone recognized him again. And he looked like a Galilean who had a follower of Christ. Once again, Peter denied it. And a third time, someone accused him of being a follower of Christ. And this time, Peter not only denied Christ, but he cursed and said, I do not know this man. Three times Peter denied knowing our Jesus. And there are scholars who believe that after that time, Peter thought to himself, I'm going back to fishing. I failed Jesus. Pardon me, I'm still fighting sinuses. Anybody else in here got allergies right now? What are we allergic to? Snow? Has anybody got an amen for being allergic to small snow? I do. Ah. Now getting back to my message. See, he, Peter believed he'd failed Peter so he'd failed Jesus so miserably that he didn't deserve to be with Jesus anymore. But when Jesus died for Peter on the cross. Just like he died for us on that cross. And after the resurrection, Jesus sat down with at another campfire. See, Peter denied him at a campfire. Jesus sat down at another campfire. And three times at that campfire, he asked Peter, do you love me? Until Peter broke down in tears. Peter knew from that moment on that Jesus had forgiven him. And I could make a whole sermon out of that time, but we only have time for one sermon today, so let me save that for another day. From that time on, Jesus just wasn't a teacher that Peter followed. Jesus became the Savior that Peter clung to. That was a pivotal moment in Peter's life. Jesus became the risen Messiah who loved Peter and who had died for his sins. You could see it in his face. Now And now it's Pentecost where we're at in the Bible. And Peter 
was intense in how he preached to these people. His message wasn't a theological presentation and it wasn't a master's thesis of, for a special college degree. He was a man who was on fire for Jesus. His was a heartfelt message for, to a lost people. See, I like to word it this way. He had graduated from Sunday school. Okay? Do you understand what I'm talking about? We're not called to always have milk. We got to graduate sometime to solid food. And Peter had graduated to that solid food. He was no longer just learning about Jesus. He was telling people about Jesus. He's kind of like the farmer who spends his time, all his time, throughout the year planning how to plant his corn in one section of his farm and his wheat in another section of his farm and his oats in another section on the plot of land. But until he actually does it, he hasn't really farmed. He had dreamed about farming. One day, the farmer reaches the point he doesn't just think about farm planting crops. He goes out and does it. He plants the field. He's going to have a crop. If the rains come and the weather holds right. Farmers are the biggest risk takers in the world. They gamble all the time. But that's also Peter. Peter planted a crop. He is a farmer. He quit thinking about it. He's doing it. He has a message for lost people. Many of the people in the crowd that we read about had been there when Jesus was brought to Pilate. They were there when the Romans mocked Jesus and beat him to his defenseless body with whips. They were there among those who had demanded to crucify him. Crucify him. They were there, many of them were there when he got led to Calvary to die on that cross. They had given their approval for Jesus to die. And now, these same folks are here at Pentecost. And they're hearing Peter tell them, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, those words are Acts Chapter 2, verses 23, 22 and 23, if you want to read it. Peter was saying, God sent you a Messiah, your Messiah, and you killed him. You crucified him. You're guilty. It is your fault. And what are you going to do about it? Now, these folks were cut 
to their hearts. They'd seen the three hours, I'm going to sidebar here, they'd seen the three hours of darkness, they'd seen the earthquake, the temple veil was rent. That's another whole sermon. I can't give you too many sermons in one day. we got to stick on our sermon tact. we got to share Jesus. So they cried out. They'd seen all this. They cried out, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now, there's one more thing. Before I get to applying all this to you and me, if you notice, Peter quoted a few scriptures while he was preaching. I like Peter. He quoted scripture. And there's a lot of people who think that Peter's really cool. But we're not. We can't quote scripture. He knows all this stuff. We don't. You know, he's got the Bible down pat. Even though the Bible hadn't been printed yet, he got it down pat, right? He's been walking with Jesus for three years. And people say, I'm not like that. And we think to ourselves, we don't know the Bible as well as Peter did. But we need to understand, until Jesus rose from the dead, those verses... Peter quoted, didn't mean anything to him. I can prove that. He did not understand the prophecies about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He and the rest of the apostles were absolutely clueless. It hadn't happened. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, we're told, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And they, he will be raised on the third day. And the Bible records they were distressed. They were dis- greatly distressed. They were distressed because that's not supposed to happen. Jesus can't die. He's the man who would become king of Israel. They can't put him to death. It just didn't compute. Although they did not understand the word compute back there, right? It did not make any sense. It didn't register in their minds. They were distressed by it. Now... In Mark chapter 9, verses 31 and 32, it's a great place to write down your sermon notes to look it up later. We're told of a similar time when Jesus told his disciples about this and they did not understand the sayings and they were afraid to ask him. And apparently... The first time that Jesus talked about this was right after Peter had declared that Jesus was the son of, was the Christ, the son of God, the son of the living God. And from that time on, we're told that Jesus had began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and he would be killed. 
And on the third day he would be raised. And, and at that moment, Peter, I got to love Peter, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He's, he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. <laughs> ah, I could just see Peter doing that. Anybody else picture Peter doing that? Now you can read this for yourself in Matthew chapter 16. It's verse 21, 22. Peter rebuked Jesus. You can't do that. Well, Peter did. And I I love the response that Jesus responded. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That's recorded for all to read, Matthew 16, verse 23. Jesus was telling Peter, you don't understand what you're talking about. They didn't understand. They could not imagine this happening to Jesus. That was true of Peter, That was true of the other apostles. None of them understood what the Old Testament prophecy said about Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, until Jesus was dead. See, we're blessed to be on the other side of the empty tomb. They weren't. And now it's Pentecost. It's 50 days later. And Peter knows exactly what those verses mean. They didn't suddenly pop into his mind as he preached. He'd probably been thinking about them for more than a month, for 50 days. 50 days in the upper room with only the word of God and prayer. You've got to start realizing you're not that much different than Peter. You're not all that different than Peter. Now, the day was different. I mean, Pentecost, you had the tongues of fire sending down on the apostles, and there's a sound like a mighty Russian wind, and the apostles are praising God and sharing God with people in languages they'd never studied or learned. People from a dozen nations, as recorded in the Bible, were understanding what was said. And you can say that. You can't do that. That's true. Unless God grants you the ability, you can't do it. But once Peter stood up and began to speak, he used a language that everybody knew. The tongues of fire faded into the background and the sound of rushing wind disappeared. And the apostles spoke to the crowd on languages never learned was no longer needed or heard. It was just Peter talking. He was the only one talking at that moment. You see, the rest was just fireworks. It was God's way of getting the attention of the crowd. They needed getting some attention. The people stopped. And they wondered, the Bible records this, they wondered, 
what they were seeing and hearing. It was just fireworks. Once Peter stands up and starts telling about Jesus, all these other things don't matter. All those fireworks were just faded in the background because there was something about the intensity of Peter's face, faith that they could see in his face. And that intensity shook people and made them ask, what shall we do to be saved? Peter focused on Jesus, his Savior. And the intensity of his faith shook his audience. He was so in love with Jesus that you're never going to stop him. He's going to get heard. You can do that yourself. But only if there's an intensity to your faith. So here's my question. How intense is your faith? When people are around you, can they tell you're in love with Jesus? Now, you've got to be careful about this because everyone who sits in a church tends to mess this up in one way or the other. That includes you and me. We all tend to mess this up in one way or the other. I'll make sense of this. See, we think in terms like, if they're around me long enough, I'll get a chance to tell them about my church. I'll talk to them about the singing group and the music and even maybe the preacher and, and, and different ministries we do here. And that's what they'll know about us. And that, and, and that is really nice. But that's not our objective. Whenever you talk to anyone about anything, you start out and say, we start off first about, it's, it's all about Jesus. We can have a beautiful building, and we do. I know it intimately. I know every inch of sidewalk after these weeks. I know it. And, and we can have a great biblical message. We can have wonderful music and a great singing group and a greatest atmosphere that you could ever want. But if Jesus is not at the center of who we are and what we do, we've got nothing. We're just wasting our time. We failed. Does that make sense? So... It is with the intensity of our faith, it has to be focused on Jesus. That's why we stay focused on Jesus. Can they tell? Just like those prospectors in my opening illustration, that you found the greatest riches in the world... So much, there's something about that gives you away. Allow me a sidebar here. Some of you might know I once in a while I go to Famous Dave's. You know, for food, you know, that, that wonderful thing called barbecue. 
There's a waitress there having a big family problem. Her parents are Catholic and they, the baby has to be baptized or it can't go to heaven. She'd come up to me, I got a problem. Well, we can do a child dedication and a baptism. So today at 1.30, I'm going to do a child ba- ba- dedication. I'm going to solve a problem. My goal is to get them to come to church. Why am I solving a problem? To get them to come to church. Because Jesus Christ is first. Also, it helps that you solve a problem. See, we can make Jesus first. I get to share Jesus Christ with a whole bunch of people that may never actually known about prevenient grace and all this other wonderful stuff. I got them trapped. They can't run away. They're up here from Arizona or New Mexico or somewhere, right, for the baby. Well, they ain't going to run off if I get to tell them about Jesus. Jesus is first. So I better get back to the sermon so you guys can all go out and enjoy the snow. I won't make it through it. I know I won't. Can they hear it in your voice? One of our Wesleyan churches down south, where they know nothing about snow except pictures from a book or a movie, set up a massive circus tent and planned to do a revival meeting the last week in November to usher them into the Christmas season. You know, where they have warm weather, you know? So, Dr. Dr. Short, what a name for a doctor, Dr. Short, right? He's one of the church's board members. He was passing out flyers at the about the upcoming revival with his staff at the clinic. He staffed, he had a stack of them in the clinic, right? And later that day, one of the nurse practitioners asked another one of the nurses if she had to go all three days of the revival, Nice tent, spent a lot of money, right? The other nurse responded. I love this. Only if you want to go to heaven. Now, let's cut her some slack here now. Let's cut her some slack. I'm not sure that you have to go all three days to a revival to go to heaven. But it can't hurt. But you cannot help but admire this woman's commitment to an unsaved nurse practitioner to try to get her life changed. She's telling her friend, if you want to go to heaven, well then go to the revival. Take it seriously. My point is, that's all it takes. You do not have to have a PhD. You do not have to have the Bible memorized. You just have to love Jesus so much that it bleeds out of you. And you want them to have what you have. Secondly, one of the ways you can tell if you love Jesus is when there are Bible verses that begin to talk to you. I'm not talking just about memorizing scriptures. Memorizing is a great thing to do. But that's not talking to you. When you get intense about Jesus, there's going to be Bible verses that leap off the page at you. Those verses will be something that you can wrap your whole life around, just like Peter did. Now, one of my favorite verses 
We are the workmanship, or we are his workmanship, depending on your version, in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you should, who would walk with them. Now that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now it speaks to me. Because it's telling me and us, sitting here, that God has a plan for our life. I have a reason to get up in the morning. I've got something to do with my life. Sidebar here. If you'd told me when I started 17 years old in retail that I'd be preaching, I'd say no. Because me and God had that conversation at Gillette, Wyoming too. Audible voice. I said, oh no, I'm not. Turned around, no one there. Yep. God had a plan. He has plans. It's something we can wrap our life around. One of my favorite verses, like I told you, is we are his workmanship. And I often quote that to people because it means so much to me. God has a plan for something he wants me to accomplish. And I want to know what it is. And so this verse speaks to me. And thus, when I talk to other people, I often quote that verse. Because I want them to know it, since it's true for them as well. It speaks to me. I, that's what I quote. Now, but the verse that I wrap my life around, the one that speaks to me, to my heart, the one I have built my ministry around, is found in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Now in the Old King James Bible it says, So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish for which I sent it. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Let me give you that again. It's going to pop up on the screen so you can get the fill in the blanks. And it shall prosper into the thing that I sent it. There too. I get to use that word in church. There's a few old English words I use. But now, if you're not old King James, right, let me give it to you in the, the newer version, right? It says it this way. So, <coughs> so my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's Isaiah 55, 11, and that's my ministry, God's word. That's my ministry, God's word. Not my word, but his. And there will be Bible verses that will do the same for you. They will talk to you and they will say, I've just got to share that. Because I want them to know Jesus, the Jesus I serve. Remember, Peter didn't suddenly understand the verses he quoted on Pentecost. Fifty days before, fifty days before, those verses meant nothing to him. 
But now Peter has seen the risen Christ. And those verses are what he shared. So when you get to the point where you start to quote Bible verses because they mean something to you, that's when you realize your faith is intense. You want to get to that point. God has promised my word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the what I desired for it to achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. Verses have power. And if I quote them to others, now you can actually quote Bible verses and never even have to tell them the Bible verse, because the Bible speaks to so many people. But it's nice to know the verse. It works on people's hearts and shares with them. Someone once said, a Christian must keep the faith, but not to himself. That's what happened to Peter. Peter knew Jesus had become so important to him that he couldn't keep it to himself anymore. He just had to talk about Jesus. Now let me repeat, you can share your faith about Jesus, just like Peter did. But you have to decide you want to. Now, there was a religious leader who was talking to a certain man. I'm going to call him a certain man because we don't want to embarrass him too much, right? The man replied, I don't wear my religion on my sleeve. My religion is personal and I don't want to talk about it. And the statement caught the religious leader, just caught him off guard. And he asked, you are a Christian, aren't you? And the guy right? yes, well, but I'm not a fanatic, religious fanatic, you know. And the leader thought about it. He wanted to slap him, but he didn't, right? And he thought about it for a few moments. And he finally asked him, did it ever occur to you that it cost Jesus Christ his life so you could call yourself a Christian? It cost the disciples their lives too, and millions of Christians throughout the centuries have suffered or died in order that to, to get the message of God's love and forgiveness to you alone. Now, do you really believe that your faith in Christ is personal and private and you shouldn't talk about it? Well, the other man was shocked. He was shocked to think about that. And he actually said, no, sir, I was wrong. Tell me what I can do about it. Let me repeat, I've said it many times in a sermon. It was the look on Peter's face that gave him away. He really believed this stuff and was willing to go to the mat to make it known. The question for you this morning is this, do you really believe this stuff? Are you willing to take it to the mat to make it known of what Jesus has done for you? It's a great question. See, you have to pray for wisdom. Any of you ever blurted out the wrong thing at the wrong time? Any of you wives ever had to remind your husband that he messed up like five, ten years ago and said something? 
No, none of you admit to that. Any of you guys ever been reminded you said something wrong 10 years ago? Guess what? We, we're blessed with God's Holy Spirit. If you want to start sharing Jesus, you don't just start sharing off the top of your head. You share, you start with the prayer, silent prayer. God, please help me have the right words. See, now think about this. John picked this music way before when we were planning a missionary. Missionary didn't show because of this wonderful thing called snow. Music all fit with the sermon. God's in control. He's in control. He knew what's going to happen. Now, I am being nice, not getting you both barrels. I'm saving the other two sermons for later. Because I was, well, once I started, I was just writing like a madman. My wife will tell you I'm a workaholic. I don't mind being a workaholic when I'm doing God's word. But on the other hand, I do have to let you guys get out of here so you can have some fun. I could keep you all day. I got two more sermons out of this sermon. But we don't need sermons in church. We need sermons that walk. You need a, we need to be solidly on God's word. You don't need a sermon out of better homes and garden. What you need is on God's word. Isaiah 55, 11 is absolutely true. His word will always accomplish its purpose. That's why we concentrate. Better homes and garden, you can leave for the Rotary Club or something. We're God's word here. You could keep me in prayer that I'll have the right words this afternoon to say. Because I'm going to get to share Jesus. That's a good thing. It'll be interesting. They're coming for one thing, they're going to get both. I'll give them the one. I get, but I get to share Jesus. That's why I don't say no. That's why you don't say no. That's why we do all this stuff. We do it to share God's love. Now, we're closing prayer and then we'll sing a final song and then there's some wonderful goodies out there. I think the kids might have already taken a look. I'm sure they didn't take any, right? But they love, they know where the goodies are hidden. And then we're going to let you go on to this beautiful weather. It's not snowing right now. The sun's shining. What more can we want right now? (laughs) Right? But enjoy the day. Enjoy the week. But maybe it's time to grab somebody by the arm that isn't coming to church and say, you're coming with me. If you're not sharing God, what are you doing? Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be a Peter. To share with love the message of the cross. Give us the wisdom and right words to use and when to use them. Father, if we're very honest, that's the hardest thing to know. Bless us now. But make us willing, Father, to be your light to a dark world. And all God's people said, Amen.